0: Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. There are certain moments in your life, if we're all honest this morning, those certain moments come to us, whether we're ready for them, whether they take us unaware, that what they do is those moments set the rhythm of our life. Moments that we really never fully recover from moving forward. Now those moments can be good moments. Those moments can be somber moments or moments in between. But all of us have faced and probably will face if the Lord is gracious to us and we continue to live moments where the rhythm of our life will be set. I remember our first night with Adalie. Of course, Adalie is our firstborn. Six years old. I'll never forget the first night with Adalie. Adalie was born at a hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. The name of it is Rex Hospital. As a young pastor, I had made many visits to that hospital before, but this time the church got the privilege of coming to see me because we were there. She was born, I guess it was, well, I was in seminary and of course, Katie was graciously putting us through seminary. She got her degree, by the way. She got a Ph.T., putting honey through. She got that degree and hangs it on her wall. And the time came for this baby to come that we had longed for and we had prayed for. And finally that moment comes. Adalie was born about eleven twenty at night, somewhere like that. So, and we'd been in the hospital for many hours before it was a very tough labor. It was a very long labor. At least the fact while we were in the hospital was a long. And so by the time the baby come and everything came, Katie was hungry. She got a hamburger about, you know, one in the morning or so. so that's the only thing that was open. She was tired. I was tired. I obviously was not, darling, I wasn't as tired as you were, obviously, but she was tired. And I remember us finally having a moment. They had the baby in the nursery. We finally had that moment where I drifted off to sleep on whatever that thing was beside the hospital bed. And Katie drifts off to sleep. Then all of a sudden, three or four in the morning, the nurses come in the room pushing this bassinet. And they look at us and they say, the baby is hungry. And Katie and I's first reaction was, in this daze, we raise up, we look at each other. And our response is, well, she's in the nursery. Do something about it. And, of course, then we realized that she couldn't do anything about it, that, of course, the baby's breastfed and all the rest. It was time to eat. And from that moment on, we knew that our lives would never beat to the same rhythm. The rhythm would be filled with waking up at night, feeding the baby, praying that the baby sleeps, and then we'd have many sleepless nights. I think the first time we brought the baby home, we put her in this little th- swing and I remember I slept right beside that swing as the baby's swinging because you know, we we wanted the baby at all costs to sleep, but we knew from that moment on that that was one of the moments that was going to arrest the rhythm of our lives and our life was never going to be the same. Maybe you've had a moment like that. Or maybe A moment in your life where you knew moving forward that things were never going to be the same. I remember watching my Pawpaw the day that my granny died. I remember watching this man who could break a pair of channel locks with the kind of grip that he had. This strong Man. Holding the lifeless body of my grandmother and grieving, even at the funeral home, not leaving us, the funeral director, having to push him out the door. And the grief that he had as a result of that. A moment in his life that set the rhythm of his life. I remember watching Paul Paul come over to our house. All of a sudden things were different. He came over to our house a lot more than he used to. Him trying to find that new rhythm because he had faced this moment where everything changed. Would you take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? Matthew 6. Now there's a familiar screen behind you, right? We hadn't seen this in a a little while, probably 17 weeks or something like that, but here we are. We're back in Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of continuing our series in the sermon on the mound, and we're back in the Lord's Prayer today, and, and realistically, all we're going to do today is we're going to look at one verse, verse 11. And I, I was preparing this in the college at the, uh, at, the, uh, at the Boyce Library at Southern Seminary this week in Louisville, Kentucky, and as I was looking over these, this little verse in 11, let's just look at it real quick. Give us this day our daily bread. As I was looking, you know what I, I realized? That there was no way, and I was surrounded by three stories of library books, thousands, of, ten thousands of volumes, and I realized in that moment of history, sitting in a place that's been there for a hundred and however many years, 150 plus years, that there is no way that this morning, in one sermon, we can exhaust everything that can be said about this verse. And I'm not going to try either, all right? I'm not going to try. But this one verse that we have right here, listen carefully. This one verse is going to teach us the rhythm of our life. Let's read the Bible together. Let's start in verse 7 and we'll read all the way through verse 15. But we'll focus on verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. When you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Trespasses. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you. And there is great comfort that we already know this morning. Just from reading this, we can say, we know you love us. So, Father, today let us be diligent. Father, let us today place ourselves under your authority so that if there's anything, if our lives are beating out of rhythm or if our course needs correcting, Father, may we today experience the power of your grace to transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Now this prayer before us is magnificent. It's fabulous. By the way, that's why we're spending so much time. And if you want to catch up, which maybe it'd be good for you, at least you can go and read. If you don't have time to listen to everything, go and read online. The uh, sermon manuscripts, they're all there at OxfordBaptistChurch.com under the title, Come Meet Your King. It's all there for you. You can start and, and catch up to where we are. But the reason we're taking our time in this sermon is because this sermon is magnificent. This sermon, what God is doing, He's calling us to have a grander vision. He's calling us to this new vision. Remember, Christ has come and interrupted every avenue of this life, and He's building new avenues. He's coming, as was prophesied in Isaiah, to have and raise up the low places and make the high places a plain. This Christ is coming to make all things new, and in the midst of that coming to make all things new, He's given us this word. He's given us this prayer. This is, of course, the Lord's Prayer, or we've come to call it the prayer that the Lord has given us. And it's right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. It's right at the heart of, of this Sermon, and it's for good reason. Here's the reason. By coming, Jesus has changed everything. This is the reason why He's preaching the way that He's preaching. He's doing every Just by the fact that He came into the world, light came into darkness... The darkness, as John tells us, tried to overcome it, but they still trying to overcome it. This Jesus has changed everything. And remember this. Remember that this Jesus we're reading this morning, this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, this Jesus is the Jesus who rose from the dead alive. This Jesus who's taught us to pray is right now seated at the right hand of the Father. This Jesus who taught us to pray is the Jesus that is soon coming again. This Jesus has given us life. He's given us hope. He's given us peace. And He teaches us to pray. Jesus teaches us in the middle of a world filled with chaos, in a world filled with confusion, in a world that's filled with moments that want to derail you and attract you and distract you, to pray. Look at verse 11. Just look at that one verse. Highlight it in your mind. Look at that verse. Let the thought of that verse soak in for just a minute. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, we know more about that verse, doesn't it? One thing that we know here at Oxford Baptist Church, we know that what we don't want to do is take a verse out of its context and just let that one verse stand alone. No, no, that verse doesn't stand by itself, does it? It has a context that goes with it. It's in the middle of a prayer. But here's what I'm afraid of. Too often when we think about praying, this is where we start. We start with give us this day our daily bread instead of missing the whole context of the prayer. The prayer doesn't begin with our petitions. How does the prayer begin? And let me just say this. If this is the place, this is important for you to understand. If this is the place where you and I start our praying, if this is the place where we launch off in our prayer, buy me, take me, get me. If all is thats where we start our praying? Then we're not praying the way the Lord has taught us to pray. In this verse, and by the way, by this verse, we mean this one, verse 11. We know there's a couple of numbers around 11, right? There's at least 10 more that came before. And there may be something that comes afterwards, but there's at least something that came before if you have an 11, right? There's probably a 12, but there's at least a 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, all the way to 0 or 1, depending on how you like to count. But by this verse, we mean about this one that comes in the middle of the sermon. It's not an isolation, And it's in this one verse that the Lord is teaching the rhythm of walking with Him. It's the rhythm of walking with Him. And the rhythm that He's teaching us of walking with Him is trusting in the Lord. Now, let me say this, because I think we all need to learn more what it means to trust in the Lord. None of us here today, we may be more experienced, we may have more under our belt but every one of us need, oh, for grace to trust Him more. That should be the song that we pray. We need to know how to trust the Lord even more. And let me just say this. There's no greater adventure in our life than trusting the Lord. There's no greater joy that comes from believing in Him. Now, there may be some times where you have every reason not to believe in Him. There may be other times in your life where trusting Him, believing Him, it's easy. But no matter what, and no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, the Lord teaches us with seven words, just with seven words, eight in the Greek, seven in the English, seven words of what life is all about. You say, well, what in the world is life all about? Well, look at verse 11. Three things this morning. I'm going to give them to you all up front, then I'll come back. What's life all about? It's about receiving. It's about remembering your great dependence on God. It's about trusting. Trusting that God will give. And then thirdly, it's about enjoying what He gives. That's the rhythm of life. That's it. The secret of life. Close your Bibles. Amen. It's been great to see you today. That's it. Receiving, trusting, enjoying. Now you see the progression there, right? You can't get to enjoyment unless you have the first two. But you better get to enjoyment. And that's what our Lord wants us to do. He's come to teach us. He's come to help us to see that what He's calling us to do is not some duty where we're going around whipping ourselves and, oh my goodness, I gotta, re- I gotta trust the Lord. No, no. It's what we delight like to do because this is what life's all about. Receiving. Trusting. Enjoying. Let's start in the beginning. Let's start with receiving. Let's start there. Look at what the verse says. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me say this. Nothing will humble a person like them having to go and ask for bread. My dad taught me a very strong work ethic. I remember seeing my dad have the flu have kidney stones, all these things, him still going into work and working all day, coming home sweating and tired and also that he could make sure that we had food on the table and clothes on our back and a, a security and all of the home and all the rest. He taught me to have a strong work ethic. Maybe your dad did the same thing to do all that you could do for yourself and to not expect anything to just be given to you, but to work hard at it. A phrase that I heard my dad say often, and maybe your dad said something like this too, and, and sometimes he would t- say this when he was frustrated, but that's another sermon for another day. If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. Now, where did that come from? That didn't come from him thinking that nobody can do it like me, so much as sometimes it was frustrating because, hey, he expected a job to get done, and, well, my brother and I, we failed to perform it, and so he would have to go and try to do it. But dad was teaching us a, a strong work ethic and to depend upon not another man, but ourselves. This is sort of ingrained in men, right? You ladies can testify to this if this is true of your man or some man that you know. Try getting a man to stop and ask for directions, right? Forget it. My wife and I, we were on a date one time in a, a Greenville, I think it was Greenville, South Carolina, at the Bylow Center, we're going to see a country group play, and and uh, my plan was afterwards to take her to get a donut, and a Krispy Kreme donut, as a hot date, I tell you. So we were going to uh, get a Krispy Kreme donut, and I didn't know where the Krispy Kreme was, so I'm riding around in circles going down one way and all that. So try getting a man to stop and ask for directions. How many arguments have you had with your GPS? Have you ever had an argument with that thing? Turn left. I am not going to turn left. You are wrong. That's not my destination. But try begging for bread. Try begging for bread. Try coming to no other alternative than for you to reach out your hand and ask. Nothing will humble a person like coming as a meager beggar asking for bread. Can I tell you this morning a little secret? With God, that's all we are, our beggars. With God, that's all we are, our beggars. Martin Luther, we all know who that guy is, right? We just studied about him for the past little while. Just celebrated and are celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Martin Luther, the guy who the Lord used to spark the Protestant Reformation and resurgence in the gospel of grace. Well, he died February the 18th. 1546 and so here he's laying and they're going through his stuff and they reach in his coat pocket and there's a note and they pull out the note and on the note it says we are all beggars this is true brothers and sisters there's no way for us to be anything other than beggars with God meager humble beggars what do you have this morning that you didn't receive? Do you have anything? This is the, the question of the Psalms, the question of the prophets. What do you have that you didn't receive? Think about the way the Bible opens. Think about the way that it begins. How does it begin? In the beginning, there was Andy, and he said, God, why don't you do this? And then, No, that didn't happen, did it? In the beginning, God created. He was before all things. Colossians says, of this God... In Him all things hold together. With God, He is the antecedent, and so there is, we have nothing except what He is graciously giving us. Even the air in our lungs is something that He has given us. And it's that truth that we're all beggars. It's that truth that we're all meager and dependent upon God. It's that truth... That keeps so many from enjoying the splendors of heaven. They've never come to the point of seeing their dependence. Seeing the great need that they have for God. No, they try to make it themselves. Instead of trusting in the cross of Christ, instead of trusting in His salvation alone, what do they do? They try to rest in their own achievements, in their own salvation. Instead of coming to God with open hands, they come with God to try to give Him something. And so they, they miss the splendors and the joys of heaven because they can't see themselves as beggars. And so what do they do? They choose to go through life starving. Starving. And all they had to do was to ask to be filled with more than they could even ask for. All they had to do was simply ask. Look at how this prayer begins. Remember, again, I, I have to emphasize this because I'm afraid we often start right here in this prayer with give us this daily bread. We bring our wish list. And maybe I'm just speaking to me in my praying. Maybe you are not praying this way. But oftentimes, we don't center ourselves, right? We have those moments where we go through life, something bad happens, and our first thought is, oh, Lord, help us this, and all this kind of stuff. But I want to spend so much time here because this is where we begin most of our praying, and that's not the way the Lord taught us to pray. We don't begin with our wish list. We don't want the verse without the context. And so what comes first? What leads our praying? Look at what it says. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, then, give us this day our daily bread. Don't lose your sense of wonder when you pray. Don't forget your place in the grand scheme of things. You are a creature. He is our Creator. Now the good thing the Bible tells us about Him is that He's omnibenevolent. There's no way that we can exhaust His benevolence. Anytime we come to Him, we come to Him with open hands. Nothing to give, everything to receive. So don't forget that you're a creature. Listen, listen carefully. And I love verse 11 because this sort of is the hinge point. Balance it with the truth that this God who's in heaven has chosen to make a wretch like you and me His treasure. Look at the first line, don't miss it. Our Father. He didn't say, "Oh, magnificent God in heaven. You who are high and lifted up, He is that, but our Father. A term of endearment, a term of intimacy, a term of belonging. Never forget that the price to call Him Father, the price for us to be called sons was by The Father choosing to send His Son to the world to make sons and daughters of wretches like you and me. To make people who were, as Steve said earlier, apart from grace, bound for an eternal destiny separated from God in hell. To make people like you and me His treasured possession. He did that through the Son. He did that not just through the Son, but through the shedding of the precious blood of the Son. also that we could be given a right to call God our Father. And then this leads to our second point, the second mark that we need to balance is not just uh, simply seeing God's transcendent as so far away that it can't be drawn near, but we call Him Father who is in heaven, but He is our Father. And so, number two, we trust Him. Receiving, we're dependent. Because of that, we trust Him. I love the way that one of the pictures of the disciples and Jesus, Jesus is preaching very hard and many of the people in the crowds, they walk away from him. And Jesus looks back at his disciples and said, what about you guys? And then Peter answers, right? Sometimes Peter, he got it right. Sometimes Jesus called him Satan, but sometimes Peter got it right. You remember what Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? And listen, Peter wasn't talking about, listen, we've invested these three years. We don't have anywhere else to go. Fishing's all right. No, remember, they tried to go back to fishing. Now, this is not that they didn't have anywhere else to go, but they understood that they didn't have anywhere else to go. Whom have I in heaven but you? The psalmist teaches us to pray. Where else would we go? Peter says. You have the keys to life Receiving, trusting. Notice the shift. By the way, this is the right rhythm. Anything else is not in rhythm, the rhythm of life. The Lord, what does He do? He grounds our petition in His glory. Don't miss this. The most difficult thing to say in verse 10, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, comes right before the thing that we say most Give us this day our daily bread. Don't miss that. This is the right rhythm. Our petitions are grounded in His glory. Don't miss the significance of that. Right after He tells us the most difficult thing for us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then He teaches us to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. So we shift from concerns of His glory to our personal concerns. Shifting from His glory... Being consumed by His glory. But remembering where we are. We are meager. And we need bread. This is the best part. God is concerned with both. If you don't know it, let me be the first to tell you. There is a God in heaven who has moved heaven and earth to bring you back to Himself. He loves you. And he has demonstrated his love for you in that while you were a sinner, separated from him, no hope in the world, he came on a rescue mission to save you. And he calls you by your name and makes you his very own. And he's concerned with both. His glory and your good. You say, explain that. Well, you have to wait to the third point of the message. But let me, let me go ahead and give you a taste. And I don't think I can say it any better than a man named John Piper said it. Listen, he says this. And this, this one word has defined my whole theological thinking. And hopefully it will define a generation of preachers that are to come. And this church, listen to what Piper said. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me say it again. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And let me say it in terms of the text this morning. We are most satisfied in Him only when we trust Him. If you don't trust Him, you're not satisfied in Him. If you don't trust Him, you're going to go try to find your satisfaction here and yonder and in this. You're going to waste your life. But God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in Him. And the question that I just want to ask is, how could we not be satisfied in our Father who art in heaven, whose name is holy, whose kingdom is coming, whose will will be done on earth as it is in heaven? How could we even think that we could find satisfaction anywhere else other than there? Understanding God as a supreme source leaves us incapable of looking elsewhere for any help. Calling God our Father gives us confidence to trust in Him. God, our benevolent Father, not just your Father, not just my Father, but our Father. God, our benevolent Father, desires to give us bread. I love bread. See, Jesus didn't say Ferrari, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say Lamborghini. He got down to the most basic thing that we need. He says, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He's going to give us the thing that sustains our life. Why is that? Well, remember, our lives are for His glory. So that then, you know, this is the way that some of us pray, right? When we, when we pray and we ask God to bless the food, we say bless the food for the nourishment of our bodies and we may use this, uh, this energy that we have to perform your This is the way that we pray. We're taught to pray. We're right to pray that way because God is most concerned about His glory and that we find our satisfaction in that glory. He's ready to give us the bread. But the question is, is that will we take what He has to offer? Or will we go to try to find that satisfaction here and yonder and in so many places and end up wasting our lives and destroying any good that we may have been able to live? Turn with me just a minute. The best commentary on this verse is what Jesus is going to say a little later in chapter 7. Turn over there just a minute. The best commentary on this verse is... Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Listen to what it says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be open. And this is where it gets really good. Or which of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? If we ask for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Yeah. Do you believe that? It's just black ink on white paper. No, it's more than that. But the question is, it doesn't change if you believe it or not, but it's to your benefit if you do believe it. Do you believe that? And if not, why aren't you asking for more? If you believe that, why aren't you coming to Him? If we believe that, why do we run around being bothered and give our affections to worry and despair and regret instead of giving our affections to trusting in the Lord? This is our Father who's moved heaven and earth to bring us to Himself. This is the God who loves us. The Old Testament in Isaiah, I love this passage here. Listen to what it says. Zion says, the Lord has forgotten me. My Lord has forsaken me. And then listen to how God answers. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? You know what the worst thing about being a new parent is? At least the thing that I still can't stand to this day is the sound of a screaming baby. And it's not because it's irritating. You know, let's be honest, sometimes it is. I remember the day when we had to let Adelaide cry it out in the crib. Now, you may be for that, against that. I don't know. Every child's different, not interested in those kind of things. But we had to come to a point where we had to lay her in the bed and just let her cry it out. Some of you may have done the other thing, cut the monitor off, and you drifted off to sleep. I don't know. That's it's your business. Whatever you did, that's the toughest thing, isn't it? Having to listen to your baby cry, knowing that you could go and help, but you can't because, well, you know it's for the best her. But look at what God says. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she had no compassion on the son of her womb? And then listen to what the Lord says. And the fact is, we know, well, mothers do forget their babies, right? They abort them. Listen to what the Lord said. Even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. And then he keeps going. He says, the mountains may depart, the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall never depart from you. And the covenant Of peace shall not be removed, saith the Lord, who has compassion on you. And then Jesus comes to us in the middle of a sermon on the mount. And knowing all of this, because he's the fulfillment of all this, he teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day Our daily bread. Now those thoughts make us want to pray with the psalmist. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. For in you I trust. Make me know the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Do you see what the Lord is doing? Do you see what He's doing? meticulously and with great detail, He is teaching you and me to trust in Him at all times. To never have a moment in our life where we are not depending on Him. He is setting the rhythm of our life. And the rhythm of our life is a rhythm of constant trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. The Lord wants to take us to the point of our lives where our first response, no matter what happens, is, okay, Lord, I don't understand it, but in some way, you have allowed this to come in my life. I may not like it, I may love it, whatever. No matter the situation, good, bad, he wants us to say, Lord, I trust in you. I don't know why. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I know who. I know you, and I trust in you. Remember, he is our Father who art in heaven, whose name is Hallowed, and he desires to give us bread. But there's one other truth that we have to get to this morning to set the rhythm of our life, and that one final truth is is joy. Enjoyment. God wants to let us live a rhythm of our life not grumbling or begrudgingly, but with joy. Letting our satisfaction be in what He provides. Letting our satisfaction be in who He is. What's the opposite of joy? Right? Grumbling. opposite of joy is grumbling. Can you just imagine just for a minute at the provision of the Lord? Now, I want to tell you a story just really quickly. Angela read it this morning. Thank you, Angela, by the way. There was a story of the people that he loved the most. The people that he saved from the slavery of Egypt. Exodus 16. Listen to this story. They set out from Elam. All the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, and I've always thought that that was funny, but anyway, which is between Elib and Sinai on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to him, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots And ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Don't you love this? Here they are. Right there. Bellies are grumbling. They're sitting around the fire. Man, remember those meat pots that we had? Woo! Life was so good in Egypt. They forget the fact that they were having to make bricks without straw. Only thing they could think about. Mmm, that meat sure was good. They forget everything else. then the Lord said to Moses. Listen to what the Lord said to Moses. I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Whether they'll walk in my law or not. You know what? It's never about bread. It's always about trusting in his provision. It keeps going. Moses and Aaron And the story keeps going. They got tired of bread. Bread in the morning, bread in the evening, bread at supper time. They got tired of eating this manna. They grumble against the Lord again and says, We need a little meat with this bread. Can't we have a little meat? So guess what God does? He gives them meat in Numbers chapter 11. But this time the meat, the Bible says, He gives them so much that it comes out of their nostrils. That's the language. is just they got meat running out their nose. And the Bible says that the meat that they ask for becomes loathsome to them. The idea is that when they they take this meat, oh, this is going to be delicious, they want to taste it and they, they bite it and it becomes bitter as soon as they bite it. The principle of the Lord that was teaching them was to trust Him. Not just to trust Him, but to trust Him a particular way, to trust Him with gladness. Trusting the Lord with gladness is the true test of your heart. It's one thing to trust in the Lord. It's another thing to trust in the Lord with gladness. Even though He slay me, Job said, still will I trust Him. This is why I believe Paul said that he had to learn to be content. Now listen, we can say amen to this sermon and you can go out and the preacher said trust the Lord with gladness. But you know what? You have to learn that. God has to teach that to you in the crucible of holiness called life, where He is making us fit for an eternal inheritance with Him. This is why Paul said, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with this, we will be content. And later to the Philippians, he says, I have learned contentment. Do you see where Paul grounds this contentment? Do you see where Christ is grounding our contentment? He's grounding our contentment in this God who is in heaven, whose will will be done. Even if I die, even if I lose everything, even if everything that could bad happen to me, that doesn't stop the plan and the purpose of God. Because there's more to this life than what meets the eye. There are moments where we need to remember this. Moments where we're writhing in pain, we need to remember the eternity of God. Moments where we're standing by the graveside of a loved one, we need to remember the eternity of God. We need to look into the circumstances of our life, the particulars of our life, where we're weeping with those who weep, where we're rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, and we need to remember our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy Name, not my will, but thy will. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is what we know. This is what has been guaranteed to us now. Because we know, as Chris Tomlin has said, there's a day that's drawing near when the darkness is going to break into light. And all the shadows that we see, and that's what death is, it's just a shadow. It's been defeated. All the pain that we have is just a shadow. I don't want to minimize your pain, but what I want to do is maximize your view of the glory of God that's coming. Those shadows are going to disappear. Tomlin goes on and says, my faith shall be my eyes. And here's the reason. This Jesus who taught us to pray is this Jesus who has overcome. This Jesus who has gone to death, gone to the grave, come out of the grave and overwhelmed the grave with his life. The victory has won for us. That's why we pray. Give us this day. This day. Moment by moment. Minute by minute. Everything that we need. Would you pray with me this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and one of the things that you need and you know you need it is Jesus. You don't have Christ. You don't have the confidence to know. You're living your life right now trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning. And let me tell you that there is a God in heaven who loves you. Maybe this morning you've been walking with Christ. You know that you're Christ. But you've, you've lost a little bit of your eternal perspective. Maybe you need the grace to trust Him more. Would you ask Him? God, give me grace to trust You more. Set the rhythm of my life into seeing myself as humbly dependent upon You, as receiving what You give, trusting You to give it, and enjoying what You give. Maybe you'll pray that for the first time today. Maybe pray it anew. Either way, God will receive you to Himself. And Father, for every heart here that's longing for more, I pray that we all together would learn the goodness of God. Teach us to trust you. Give us grace to trust you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.